you can be seated. And the first thing, before we get into the message, we want to um, dismiss our Fusion youth to their class. So if you're junior, senior high, you can go to class now. And um, while, the, while the kids are exiting, we're going to show you a short video um, just to bring you up to speed on the financial aspects of the life of our church. It's an important time of year to be considering these things. So let's hear what Pastor Brian has to say. All right, thank you for that. You know, I'm just, it's a privilege in my mind for, to be part of a church that has purpose, that's making an impact in the community. And so um, I, I'm delighted to be able to participate financially with Alpine Church, and I hope you feel the same way. Now today, we're on our last week in the series, The uh, Seven Deadly Sins. And uh, we've looked at, here, here's the ones we've looked at. You can see that for yourself. We're going to focus in on just the final one today is the sin of sloth. And I don't know, if you had this thought that I've had, is like, wait, how does sloth kind of measure up to the seriousness of these other ones? Why is it deadly? I mean, what's wrong with a lazy day once in a while, right? How does this work? And I really want to understand sloth more deeply than that. So I think we're going to see that that it really is, when we, when we dig into it, we're going to see it really is a sin of great consequence, and it really, it does merit a place in that top of that list when we really understand what, it, what it's about. So let's start with um, a definition. Like sloth is a slow-moving tropical a- uh, animal that hangs upside down from trees. Okay, all right. A sloth, I, I learned this, a sloth sleeps 15 to 18 hours a day. Somebody told me at the other service, they said, oh, that's a teenager, right? So <laughs> I said, no, that's a sloth. I know some, some teenagers who are very active and energetic, right? But the sloth is the slowest moving animal, a mammal, I should say, on the earth. And in fact, it's so slow moving that there's, actually, I learned that there's an algae that grows in the hair of the sloth, the fur, and it's so lazy that it just like licks, the, eats the algae for sustenance, right? That's why it's called a sloth. We've given it that name on purpose because here's the definition um, that we're working from today. Reluctance to work or make an effort or laziness, okay? So the idea of sloth is connected to laziness. But what I want to see today that it's not exactly the same thing. In fact, sloth you can look at it more as the reason for laziness, the reason for a reluctance to make an effort in things. So we're going to see that sloth is more than just being a couch potato, okay? So three things I want to share with you. Number one is we're going to dig into what really the meaning of this word is, kind of defining it more deeply and fully with some examples and so forth. And then the second point is we're going to look at then what's the biblical answer, the biblical remedy for sloth. And then the third thing we're going to look at is, is what the result of living that way really is. And where does, that, where does that take us in life and how God will bless us. So first of all, let's talk about what it is. Sloth is giving up on life and relationships. It looks like laziness, but in reality, it's apathy. Now, before we dig into that and kind of explore that, I want to set some boundaries on the topic a little bit to share some things that sloth is not. Okay, so we can kind of get the right direction going on this thought. First of all, sloth is not the same thing as rest. Now, I know for some of us Americans, 
hardworking, work ethic, type A type people. We never take our vacation, right? We never take a day off. We think if I take a rest, we're being lazy. But biblically, God provided for us to take rest. He gave us the idea of Sabbath so that we would rest. And so, you know, when you work, work, work all the time, eventually you're going to burn out. And, but when you, so we need to throttle back. We need to put our feet up sometimes so that we have the energy and the motivation to pursue God's purpose in our life and to get up, you know, off the couch when we're done resting to go and tackle what God has given us to do. So the Bible not only gives us permission to rest, the Bible actually commands us to rest so that you're not being slothful if you take a much needed rest, okay? The second boundary I want to set, understand, is that the slothfulness is not necessarily the same as, it's not necessarily the opposite of busyness, okay? My point is that you can be slothful and still be super busy. The difference is you're super busy doing things that don't matter, right? You could be super busy scrolling through your social media feed and checking all the sports and the detailed statistics of the game or watching those cute videos on YouTube all, the, all day long or, um, you know, checking out your news feed, and there's a lot of things that we can do. They're not wrong in and of themselves, but they're slothful because we choose them instead of doing the harder thing that matters more. And so we say, well, I've been busy all day long. Busy doing what? And sometimes then it's slothful because we do that stuff to fill the void of not really having a purpose that we're engaged in and moving forward in in life. So keep that in mind. And then the third thing, I want to make sure we're sensitive. When we talk about sloth, we're sensitive to the reality of um, medical conditions. There's certain medical conditions that leave you feeling without energy and, and kind of take away your steam. For, you could have anemia or low blood sugar or just enough, uh, a thyroid problem. There's all kinds of different issues that maybe look a little bit like sloth, but they're not. Or even mental health conditions like depression or seasonal affective disorder could take away the, the zest for life and leave you feeling listless. We're not talking about that. Or grief, for example. Um, the symptoms of grief are very much like the symptoms of sloth. It's just hard to get going. So I want to nuance it a little bit and, and set a little bit of boundary on understanding this topic today. And, you know, as you can see as we go, there's a lot of things to discuss here. There's a lot of interesting um, issues, questions that get raised. So we really encourage you to have some of the conversations about this topic in your family or with your small group or with a mentor as well. You can check out our resources at PursueGod.org. So what sloth really is at the heart of it, again, it's not exactly laziness. It's related to laziness, but it's really the heart behind laziness. It's what drives laziness. And so we're talking about sloth as really being a reflection of apathy or indifference toward life, toward relationships. And the reason a slothful person doesn't get up off the couch, doesn't get moving and get engaged in life is because, you know what? Nothing matters. Just don't care. Now, often, oh, let, let me show you this quote that I think captures this really well. 
from Dorothy Sayer. She says, sloth is the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there's nothing it would die for. So it's this extreme form of self-absorption that says, you know what? Nothing, uh, nothing matters. Nothing, there's nothing in my life that's going to get me up and get me going and moving me forward. And the way that that takes shape, takes shape in a lot of ways. It might take shape in procrastination. Another way that it takes shape is in when we take shortcuts and we settle for less, okay? Because so, for example, a lot of us will settle for a very passive experience of just um, letting media come at us. Like watching, just watching TV or streaming or just watching the internet is very passive. And we don't engage any of our faculties in that. Versus maybe the harder work and more purposeful work of actually picking up a book and reading through it and engaging those ideas or the harder work of actually investing in real relationships face-to-face with real people that go beyond likes and, and clicks, right? Or when it comes to church life, the shortcut of just showing up on Sunday and getting a, you know, a great worship experience and hearing someone tell you what you already believe and Versus the harder work of really studying the Bible for yourself and thinking it through and learning what's in it and, and really working through sin in your life and not just settling for, a, for a, a quick absolution on Sunday morning, but really working through those issues and really working to be reconciled with your brothers and sisters in Christ or letting the Word of God challenge how you think and challenge how you live instead of saying, no, I don't want to hear that, I'm not going to come. It's taking the easy way, the shortcut. So in the movie, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, at the very end, of the, near the end of the movie, um, Albus Dumbledore, the headmaster of Hogwarts, he, he talks to Harry, he says, a time is coming when people are going to have to choose between what's right and what's easy. Sloth is choosing what's easy. But that's not the life that Jesus has in store for us. As his followers, he's got a bigger vision for life than that. And it's expressed in John chapter 10 where Jesus says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus had purpose. And part of his purpose, it says here, is to affect our lives in a positive way, to change our lives as Christ's followers so that we live with purpose. So that we're engaged in the purpose God has given to us so that our lives have focus and significance where we know who we belong to and we we know what our life is all about. Sloth is the enemy of that. Sloth robs us of God's best for our lives. And so again, back to the question, why is this one of the top seven historically as the church has recognized? Why is this one of the top seven? Well, Partly because it totally undermines human thriving. Not only in your own life personally, but think about it in society. Imagine a community where everybody was living in indifference and apathy. What would life be like for the human family if that were the case? No solutions to anything. No creativity. No inventions. You know, no, nothing. It It would be a horrible way to live. But more even significant than that, Sloth is on this top seven list 
because it reflects an apathy toward God himself. Right, what did Jesus say? Number one commandment, somebody asked him, he said, what is? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and all your might. Love God. Well, well, sloth says, God, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe not. And the very next thing Jesus said was, love your neighbor. He said, that one's right up there with it. Sloth says, eh, not so much. And so see, it's such a significant sin because it cuts directly against the two greatest commandments that God has given us to thrive and to, be, uh, to, to live up to what he's created us to be. Okay, now with that in mind, knowing that then sloth is the embodiment of apathy and indifference and it, and it leads to nothing, really, then I think if you understand that, you'll understand then the next thing I want to share with you is what the biblical counterpart to that is. So second point, the opposite of apathy or sloth is faith. Not like monks hidden away in monasteries, but the faith of men and women who engage their world. So we're talking about living with passion and purpose. Not just for anything. You can be very purposeful, again, about things that don't matter at all. Like, I could be very purposeful about my sports teams, and I love my teams and stuff like that. But you know what? I have to recognize those don't matter in any way, in any meaningful way in society, right? But I could be super purposeful that things that don't matter. I could be passionate about sin, about those other seven deadly sins. And so what, what I'm really talking about is being passionate and purposeful in a way that flows out of my relationship with God. The Bible has a word for that. It calls it faith. I'll show you what I mean. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. By the way, in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, we're going to look at that next. It talks about faith. It gives us examples of what this faith is. It shows us how faith is really the opposite of sloth. And, it, and then at the end in chapter 12, it, it leads us to the results of that. Okay, so that's the big picture we're looking at. Hebrews chapter 1 begins, uh, chapter 11 rather, verse 1, begins with this definition. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for is the evidence of things we cannot see. So faith is this idea of having a hope for the future and living in anticipation even though I can't see it yet. And that anticipation we're going to see then births engagement, births movement and action. And so what he's going to do in this chapter is use a, as an example a number of people in the Bible who experienced this hope, who saw what God could do, what God wanted to do, and who got involved in that. And so really that's, that's our model for true faith. Not, not monks living hidden away, cloistered in some monastery somewhere, doing you know, religious ritual, the same thing every day, the same repeated stuff, but men and women who are out there engaging the world. That's what we see in chapter 11. In fact, the Bible, uh, Bible commentators for years have called this uh, the Faith Hall of Fame because the list of these notable people, they're enshrined there and the example that they give to us. I don't have time to look at all of them. There's you know, tons of people listed there. Let's just look at a sampling. In verse seven, it says, by faith, Noah built a boat. Okay, so think of the story of Noah and the ark. Noah saw something coming that nobody else would admit to or agree, or agree with. So he had this, this sense of the future. He knew what God wanted him to do to help save humanity, so he went into action. 
He built a boat. Verse 8, Abraham, by faith, left his home. God calls Abraham into relationship with himself. It's the start of, of God's plan in the world. He blessed Abraham and promised these things to him. Part of that, he says, I want you to move to this place you've never been before and set up there. And, and so Abraham, on the basis of this promise from God, picked up his whole family and all of his livelihood and everything, and he, and he moved hundreds of miles away to this new place. See, faith led him to action because he could foresee what God was going to do through him. Skipping down through several other examples to verse 29. By faith, the Israelites left Egypt. They followed Moses into the wilderness through all kinds of pitfalls and challenges because God had said, I have a homeland that I'm going to give you. Now, none of them had ever seen that place before. They only knew it existed because God said so. They'd never been there. And yet they picked up their stakes and they moved toward that promise. By faith, they took action. And then he goes on and summarizes the chapter. He says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. By faith, they shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. By faith. You mean, you look at this list of these people, you could see, you know, they, they envisioned what God wanted to do through them in their situation, and they acted. None of these people were slothful in any way. They weren't living through life at the lowest energy level, just in a, in a zombie-like fog. They were far from being apathetic or indifferent. They took hold of the purpose that God put in each one of their lives. And so when we, when we look around and we see what God wants to do, we see what God is up to in the world, we look and see how great God is, when we can see the opportunities that he's put around us in our lives, they don't have to be incredibly world-changing things, but they could be significant in your world, in your space. And we see those things, and we take action. That's faith. That's the opposite. You see, that's the opposite of sloth, the opposite of apathy. And so here's my question for you guys today is, how are you going to engage your world? It could be something as simple as inviting somebody to Christmas Eve service. What a great opportunity because people are inclined that way anyway. But you know what? If you're, if you're slothful, you're going to say, eh, I wasn't even going to come to Christmas Eve service because what's the point? Or maybe you're going to come, but you're just thinking about yourself and your enjoyment of this. But, what, but to engage the world around us, what, is, what, if, what does God want to do in your life, through your life? You might want to invite somebody. That's a very simple thing, but it could have profound effect. Or how about Missions Week? Well, Pastor John already shared with us the things that Leighton Campus is doing, the different packing events, you know. That'd be a great way to engage your world, to take a next step if you've never been involved in a Missions Week project before. But then, you know, what happens when uh, the calendar year turns over and we move into 2022 and Missions Week is over and then, then what are you going to do to engage your world? Maybe if you're a parent, it's about being intentional, about having those faith conversations with your kids. And we have the resources to do that with PursueGodKids.org to make it, make it possible for you to do that. You know, sloth would say, 
yeah, I'm kind of busy. My kids are kind of busy. And it's not going to really make a difference anyway. I'll let kids' church take care of that. What would faith do? Or maybe the way you'll be led to engage your world is to connect with your neighbors and actually invite them into your life and build some relationship there so that you have opportunity to, to discern how the Holy Spirit might be working in their life so you can share your story with them or invite them to come to church when the time is right. Or maybe it's going on our mission trip next year or serving in a ministry at Alpine Church or serving in a ministry in the community. You know, sloth would say, well, you know, somebody else could take care of that. Faith would say, God, what do you want me to do? Or maybe it's becoming a mentor or getting trained to be a mentor so that when the opportunity arises, you're ready. Or, or having a mentor so you know how it works and you could learn how to do it from being on the receiving end. Sloth would say, that whole thing Jesus said about make disciples, nah, not so much. So, Sloth is apathy, it's indifference, it leads to inactivity. Faith, to see what God can do, then leads us to engage the world around us. And when that happens, I want to see the final thing, I want to show you where that goes in our life. So the last thing is you overcome sloth by purposefully engaging the world. The payoff is joy. If you think about a slothful person, what a dull, boring, stagnant way to live. What a tedious way of life with just not anything that you're really invested in, you really love, you're really for. It's such a shallow, wretched way of life. But when you're engaged in God's purpose for your life, that's a life of joy. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, he's given us all these examples of faith. And then as he moves into chapter 12, he continues the argument by saying, so what? How does that matter? Look at 12 verse 1. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. He says we have this whole crowd of witnesses, all these people he's just referred to, and all the others in, in history of the church who have engaged the world around them by faith. He, they all stand as witnesses of us, and it's like, it's like an Olympic event. The stadium is full, and it's full of people who have already run the race, and we're down on the field. And so they're cheering us on. He says, therefore... In other words, what's the natural result of understanding this? He says, therefore, you're going to go for it. You're going to get in the race. Get off the sidelines. Get out of the bleachers. And pursue God's work in your life. Pursue what God wants to do. And he says, he says you know, strip off anything that's going to slow you down, that's going to hinder you from fulfilling that purpose. In your life. And then he goes on in the next verse. He says, we do this. So how do I run that race with endurance? He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So Jesus engaged the world he embraced the purpose God has for him he, by, doing, by going to the cross. 
And why did he endure the cross? There's a lot of answers to that. But the one that Hebrews is pointing us to is because he could, he could see the joy that lay ahead. And that's, that's the epitome of faith that I'm talking about today. Jesus could see with anticipation, with hope, what the results of his obedience would be. And so he went through the pain and through the suffering because he saw this finish line ahead. Now let me connect the dots for a minute between his cross and his joy. Okay, I want you to understand the connection there that's very important here in this verse. So Jesus went to the cross, why? So that we could be reconciled to God because our sin separates us from God. Whenever we go our own way, whenever we rebel against God, whenever we do what we want instead of what he wants, it, it creates a, a gulf, a gap opens up. It's opened up. All of humanity is on this side and God is on this side. So how does that gap get bridged? Well, that's why Jesus came. That's why he went to the cross, to bridge that gap so that we could be forgiven of our sins and we could enter this new life that God has in mind for us. And so... When Jesus went to the cross, he did not just endure the physical pain of crucifixion, as horrible as that was. He also endured the emotional, spiritual, soul pain of having all of the evil of humanity put onto his being and enduring the righteous, holy condemnation of God in our place that we deserve. So here's the joy. The joy is seeing the people who would respond to his sacrifice, seeing the people who would place their trust in him and him alone. The, the joy that he received was, was seeing people reconciled to their creator again and healed from their brokenness of their sin and forgiven from the consequences and penalty of it. The joy is seeing people come out of an old dark life of the world and enter into a new life in his kingdom, in his light, and enter into a relationship with God that starts now and lasts forever. That's the joy he could see. That's why he endured the cross. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to get up off the couch and to get hold of your purpose and to engage the world around you. Jesus faced hostility and opposition. Jesus had to go through the pain before he got to the joy. So do we. But it says that we can do it by keeping our eyes on him. When we consider how he got through from one side to the other side, we consider his faithfulness, obedience to God, his perseverance, his endurance. And we consider, we think about the joy that he has now in the presence of the Father for eternity, surrounded by all the people who have responded to him, who've place their trust in him. We, we think about that. He says, then we can live with endurance. We won't grow weary. We won't give, give up. We won't lapse back into sloth and apathy anymore. Jesus is the one who starts and finishes our faith. Now let me close with this quote. I think it sums up a lot of things. The opposite of love is not hatred. It is indifference. And if indifference is at the heart of sloth, then sloth is the enemy of love, which makes it the enemy of the best thing there is, the heart of God, the heart that beats at the center of the universe. There's a couple things there. Why is sloth a sin then? Why is sloth one of the seven? Partly because there's some things that just matter. 
There's some things that matter in eternity. There's some things that are worth being committed to and invested in and being, uh, putting energy into. And sloth is the enemy of those things. It's the enemy of God's best for your life. But above all that, sloth is a deficiency of love. It's a deficiency of love toward God. It's a deficiency of love toward our neighbor. If you think about the other sins, even greed, greed is loving the wrong thing, loving material goods and so forth. Gluttony is misplaced love, love of food and drink and so forth. Pride is misplaced love in myself. Apathy loves nothing at all. Certainly not the things that matter the most. And so when we think about all of these seven sins, all of them, when, see, what we're trying to say in this series is that when you follow God's way and you, you do it his way instead of your way, then that's going to unfold his best in your life, a rich and satisfying life. That You'll be able to love God. You'll be able to love other people. You'll be able to understand and live for your purpose in life. And so how are you going to engage the world? How are you going to overcome apathy and indifference in your life? It won't always be easy. But the promise is that it will lead to unaccountable joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your good promises. How you're so invested in us through Christ, through your Son. You want the best for us. And so help us to hear from you today to discover our purpose, the purpose that you have for my life, the purpose that I have in Christ, of being a Christ follower and part of your family, and help me to understand this purpose that Jesus, you've called us to invest in, making disciples and serving you and living for you. And Father, help us, we just pray your Holy Spirit would bring conviction and healing to any area that you identify where we've surrendered to sloth where we've become indifferent about something that matters the most, where we've misplaced our priorities and we're passionate about something that matters not at all. But we don't care about something that you care deeply about. You've you got to show us that, God. You've got to give us the power of your Holy Spirit to overcome that. And we trust in you. We look forward to what you're going to do in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.